talking about their new book out called Music, Memory, and Meaning. And it is um, it is just a fabulous book. And I don't think you're going to want to miss out on this. And I think you're going to want to share it with others as well. But before I introduce our fabulous three today, um, I, I know that we always get new listeners. So I'm just going to go ahead and talk a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks Radio and how we got started um, bottom line, I'm Lori LeBay, and I'm the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. My own mother had dementia for 30 years. She started having symptoms in her mid-50s and lived till the age of 86, and she was such a gift to me. Um, but through her her journey, um, she, you know, she really encouraged me to, to make a difference and make some changes. And so I started Alzheimer's Speaks, which bottom line is an advocacy-based company and a media outlet outlet providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture um, throughout the world. Uh, We truly believe that by having these everyday conversations and joining forces and sharing knowledge is really how true uh, change takes place. And I think we can do it at a faster pace when we do it at an organic, um, authentic level like we do here. Everyone's voice is is open to be heard. So those living with uh, a diagnosis of dementia, family members, business professionals, researchers, we've had singers and songwriters and movie directors and um, you name it. Um, Harvard Research has been on the show. It really is about sharing the knowledge and, and having really interesting conversations. And we know that we are pushing forward Um, due to some of the accolades that we've received. And again, those we share with you. Most recently was um, I was recognized by Oprah um, as a 2018 uh, health hero, um, one of 14 people that she recognized. And again, that never would have happened without all of your clicks, your shares, your likes, your belief in that each of us has the power to to contribute to making a huge difference um, when it comes to the disease. And um, I'm just, like I said, I'm thrilled to be here. I, I love my job, and <clears throat> I'm so honored uh, when you, you know, use the chat box, when you call in, when I get to meet you in person, or you shoot me an email, follow the blog, maybe you participate in our Dementia Chats videos, Um we are just always trying to connect people with resources. And when we do that, we learn of so much through you. So thank you all for for sharing and being part of this community. I want to give a shout out just to a couple of our sponsors. If you're not familiar with the new magazine, um, American Senior, check it out. You can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and uh, you'll see their banner ad on the right side of our page there. You can also get a discount to the subscription if you'd like. The The call alert center, which is an absolutely fabulous way if you would be in need of someone going missing uh, to be able to connect people and plan ahead at a, at a very, very economical price. Um, and then the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, they have been dear friends of Alzheimer's Speaks for a long time now, and we just love their holistic uh, method and approach um, that they have. 
So with that, I am gonna I am gonna get to our show because, like I said, I'm very excited about who we have with us today. So let me tell you a, a little bit about each of these ladies. Um, first, I'm going to introduce Tara Jenkins. She is a board-certified music therapist who specializes in working with older adults with cognitive decline and or dementia. She has extensive training and knowledge on caring for those who have dementia and has presented on music therapy and dementia. She's also worked closely with caregivers on how to share music and create meaningful experiences with their loved ones. Welcome, Tara. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me this afternoon. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm going to uh, introduce your cohorts here, and then we'll we'll get started with our conversation. Um, next, I want to introduce Meredith Hammonds, and she is a board-certified music therapist. She's also the founder and clinical director of North Austin Music Therapy. She is passionate about working with older adults, and in addition to her clinical work, she speaks frequently on the subject of music therapy as well. She's also the author of another book called Musically Engaged Seniors. So, um, Meredith, I'm so thrilled to have you. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, good. We got one more to go here, guys, and then we can really get into this conversation. Um, next is Kathy Buffy uh, Hensel, and she is a board-certified music therapist as well. She is a published researcher, an adjunct professor of music therapy. She is passionate about understanding and sharing knowledge regarding how best to use music to connect to those with dementia or some form of cognitive decline. She teaches undergraduate courses on several topics, including both clinical research and the psychology of music. And she presents about music therapy to several conferences as well. So welcome, Kathy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. Well, good. Um, Before we kind of get into our line of questions, I always like to ask um, our guests uh, one basic question. And the question is this. Have you been personally touched by, you know, family or friends um, with dementia? And I'm going to throw this to Tara first. Um, So in middle school and high school, uh, my grandmother uh, was um, resided in a nursing home. She didn't have a definitive diagnosis of dementia, um, but it kind of exposed me to that environment. And, you know, I got to know a lot of her friends who were there when I would go to visit and engage with her as well. And, you know, I started to notice how she might not remember my name, but she could recognize my face right away, you know, and she would almost catch herself and say, I know who you are. Um, You know, my grandmother and I were very close since I was very young. Um, And when I started studying music therapy and started learning about how beneficial music was, um, at that point my grandmother had passed. And, you know, I just thought this would have been so helpful. You know, I was only in middle school and high school, and I went to visit and I did, you know, um, what I could and and spent time with her and really uh, cherished that time. But it kind of fueled me. Um, forward in my career to work with those living with dementia um, just to see, you know, all we can provide for them um, while they're living with this disease. Great. Thank you. Meredith, how about you? Have you been personally touched by by the disease? Um, Not personally, but I actually, it was because of my time spent with my grandparents as well that really inspired me to get into music therapy and working with older adults. Um, I was very, very close with Mumu and Bapa growing up my whole childhood and then was very much a part of their care as they were dealing with some of the challenges of aging um, and through them as they entered long-term care facilities, which, like Tara said, kind of really exposed me to that environment. Um, And it was actually when my grandmother was on hospice care that really inspired me to go into the field of music therapy. Um, So I knew since high school I really wanted to do music therapy and I wanted to be able to specifically focus on older adults. 
um, just because of what I had been a part of with my grandparents. And then needless to say, once I got out on the field, as soon as I graduated, um, I started having a lot of experience with Alzheimer's and dementia and really witnessed kind of the value music could have with this population, which only further inspired me to continue investing in how music can really help older adults who are experiencing dementia. Wonderful. And Kathy, how about you? I had a great grandmother who lived in a nursing home, and I don't believe she had an actual diagnosis of dementia, but I remember some of my earliest memories were going to visit her, and I was a little girl in elementary school and kind of didn't really know how to act. And I remember sitting down at the piano and playing and singing and watching her come alive and watching her come and sing with me and all of the residents around her coming and singing with me. And that memory stuck with me for years and years and actually inspired me to go into music therapy to find out what it was. Why was it that I sat with her and I talked with her and we, I always felt off. But as soon as I started singing with her, all of a sudden we connected. And that has inspired me ever since. It it is amazing how how powerful music is. I I just um, I I like you, Tara. I wish I would have known with my own mom and my great aunts um, way back when um, the power of music. So um, I, and I think you know people even in our audience are hearing more and more about the power of music, and it'll be fun to. Um, explain to them a little bit more about your book and and how to utilize that. So thank you again, ladies, for um, all three of you joining us. I'm just so excited to have you here. Um, Meredith, I'm going to ask this first question to you. And if you can tell um, our audience a little bit about, you know, your book, Music, Memory, and Meaning, and what what inspired you guys to write this? Well, I think we all just talked a bit about how passionate we are about working with older adults. Um, And here at North Austin Music Therapy, all three of us have a chance on a daily basis to be out working with older adults through music therapy. And so it's something we all love um, and we all know, but as we're out there, we realize there's just a time limit on how much we can do. Like we can only see so many residents a day. We can only be in a certain long-term care facility for so many hours Um, And there's so many people who could be benefiting from music, but their needs aren't being met just because of a lack of manpower. Um, And I think in the last few years, especially, the media has gotten very excited about the effects of music with Alzheimer's and dementia. And we're seeing articles and stories um, at a lot of mainstream outlets. And so I feel in general, there's this increased awareness that music is a really powerful tool with this population. But the feedback that we're getting when we're talking to people is they have this general idea that, oh, yeah, music's really good for Alzheimer's, but it stops there. Um, They know it's good for them, but they don't know how to use it, what to use, why to use it, when to use it. Um, So this idea that music's great for them is there, but if people can't do something with it, then it doesn't really get the full benefits. And so we were thinking, how can we help people that aren't necessarily music therapists kind of tap into this power of music to have a really meaningful connection with a loved one. Um, And we've interacted with family members that maybe have a parent suffering from Alzheimer's dementia and they want to help them and they don't know how. And we see them coming in to visit regularly. Um, And like Kathy described, they might be sitting there wanting to have a, a visit with their mom, but they're running out of ideas of how to engage her or interact with her. Um, We work with a lot of activity coordinators that are excited about music and they want to bring music more to their residents. But again, they don't always necessarily have the resources of what's a good way of doing that. Um, So we thought, what if we could create a resource that somebody, even if they're not a good singer, even if they're not a trained musician, they don't know anything about music therapy, um, you know, they like music, but it kind of stops there. What if we were able to create a resource for them that if they just had this one book, they were able to have a meaningful experience with music with somebody that's in their care. And so that was really kind of our vision in the book. Actually, it can just be used with the book and a smart device. You know, now all of us have iPads and iPhones. And um, the great thing with these devices is there's millions of music options right at your fingertips. Um, Whether you're using iTunes or Spotify, you can access music from all kinds of decades, all kinds of genres, 
Um, but those choices are overwhelming, I think, at times to know what to play and what to choose. And so we said, what if somebody had just a book and their device, they've got access to this music, and it would walk them through what to do. Um, so the book is divided into three sections. The first section talks about why music is so important with older adults. Um, it talks a little bit about the work that we do as music therapists, and it just offers some strategies um, and some approaches when you're going to start having a session listening to music with a loved one, what to do to be successful and kind of how to get started. Um, so that's the first section. The second section, we worked really hard developing playlists. Um, we are hopeful that you know your loved one's preferred music, but sometimes people don't. Um, and if they're experiencing Alzheimer's and dementia, they might not always be able to express and say, oh, yes, well, I always love to listen to this artist or this is my favorite song or this song played at my wedding. You might not always know. Um, so there's playlists there, and I'm going to let Kathy talk a little bit more about those. But they're there so that if you have no clue um, what to play or where to start, um, they're a proven effective place to start as far as what music to choose. Um, and so those playlists are there in part two. And then the, most of the book is part three, um, and there's 99 songs and then 10 holidays that are included. Um, and it basically gives each song is on a page. Um, it gives some background on the song. It talks just some simple ways to engage someone with the music, even if it's just as simple as tapping their, helping them tap their toes, you know, holding their hands and letting them sway side to side with the beats, um, sometimes pulling up pictures of maybe an artist um, that they can look at to kind of help cue some of those memories while they're listening. Um, and then it includes discussion questions. A lot of times we see um, articles and stories that it's so exciting when you have that experience with someone who just comes alive when they hear a familiar song, but then you want to do more with that, right? You don't want it to stop there. They are recalling memories, and you want a way to help draw those out and really engage them further, and that's what those questions are designed to do. Um, and they're even listed with different prompt levels. You know, some people might respond to a very open-ended question, and you'll get a huge story about their childhood and their favorite memories, and that's wonderful. And some people might just be struggling to kind of put those words to what they're remembering, and there's some prompts to help you guide them um, if they're having a tough time. So they don't have to be used in that order. You can kind of pick and choose whatever you're in the mood and they're in the mood to listen to. Um, but it's just a way to guide you through choosing music and then when you get a good response from them, how to take it a little bit further than just sitting and listening together. Wonderful. Well, I, um, you know, I loved what you said about, you know, framing this book. You know, you, you really put a lot of thought into it and, you know, getting rid of some of the scary, because I'm one of those people where, like, I love to sing and I'll sing alone, but, but I, I don't share my voice. You know, I just, I just don't. And even though I have a cold right now, this is probably how I sound when I sing, because I know I'm off key, and I always have been. I, I remember getting my dad's roll of the eyes when we were in the car singing as kids, and him saying to my mom, can you tell her to stop? <laughs> you know, because we were on a long trip, and I was killing him. And so, you know, I, I had learned not to, not to sing. And yet, through my mom's disease, I learned it was okay. Because she didn't really care what I sounded like. She was there for the the energy and the spirit of the song. And my mom had my mom had a great voice and you know was in choir. The other thing that I like um, about this book really a ton is that there are a lot of therapists that I music therapists that are board certified that I have met that don't want to share tips because they want to get hired. And and I can appreciate that, but we'll, we as layperson are never going to be able to do what you guys do because you have so much knowledge. And we'll talk a little bit more about that um, a little later in the program, the difference. But I love I love your openness with sharing. Um, when I saw this, I mean my my eyes lit up and my heart just started singing because it was just like, oh my gosh, this is going to help so so many people. So. Thank, thank you, all three of you, because I know this this had to have taken you quite a um, a while to to put together and just formulate how you're how you're putting it together. Um, I want to ask um, Kathy this next question, and that is um, why is music so important, especially to older adults? Well, 
a language we all hear. It's a language that everybody speaks with or without words, with or without words in the same verbal language. And it's a but it can connect together, but it's so much more than that. Music is the only recreational activity that research has shown to engage pretty much the entire brain at the, at the same time. So when you're listening to music, when you're participating in music, even more so, the brain lights up in all of the different areas at the same time, and especially when you're working with older adults who might be experiencing some form of decline, you want that brain active, you want it moving, you want it engaged so that you're getting more exercise, so that you're getting more cognitive work, which helps everybody. And music is so important specifically with older adults because they know so much of it. We experience work with um, seniors all the time and we talk to seniors and there are so many songs that they know the words to, that they know the experiences with, that they have emotional experiences that are connected to different songs. And it's just a way to experience the world and to help re-experience and draw that out when you listen to your wedding song or the song from your prom or the song that was on the radio when your first child was born. These are songs that are seared into your memory with these experiences and can help bring those memories back. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And I think that that's really important. It's, I mean, we all have an association with, with different songs, and yet we, we forget about that. Um, Terry, would you like to add to that why you think uh, music is so important? Yeah. Um, you know, what I love about music is no matter how old we are, music is able to bring individuals together to create meaningful connections and shared experiences. And you see that from little bitty babies all the way on up to 101-year-olds. And for me, one of the greatest strengths, I think, about using music with older adults, um, especially those living with cognitive decline or dementia, is that they can still engage with one another in a shared experience, no matter what their functioning level is. A lot of times our groups are mixed levels. We don't get everyone who, you know, is experiencing the beginning stages or everyone in the late stages. We always have a mix. And, you know, every day in our work we get to see how music can bring these folks back to the people they were, even if it's for a moment, um, and that they're able to connect with each other, their loved ones, um, and use music as the tool to do that. Um, For me, it's important that we continue to celebrate their abilities instead of focusing on their limitations or difficulties, which often come with the disease. And a lot of times, you know, the focus is on what someone is no longer able to do. And I think music is a really beautiful way to focus on what they're still able to do, what they're still able to share and contribute. Um, So for me, that's kind of one of the greatest strengths um, with working with older adults in music. Okay, great. Meredith, how about you? Anything to add to that? Um, I'll add a little bit to what they said, but I think they did a fantastic job of covering it. Um, Something I always tell people is, Music's one of the very first things a small child will respond to and one of the very last things an older adult will respond to. Um, and I've gotten to witness this perfect personally. Um, I'm the mother of small children, and as babies, um, they were super responsive to music. And then I would go to work, um, and I would be doing music with some of the people in the last stages of Alzheimer's, and I would see them respond as well. Um, And I agree with Kathy. Uh, We love to get very nerdy about what goes on in the brain. And there's been some fascinating studies um, that just show how deep music is in the brain so that even as there is disease and deterioration, that musical part is still intact, which is why it's so highly salient, even when they don't want to respond to anything else. Um, And some of the favorite things I've gotten to witness is just Um, When we're working with people with dementia, we always hear the stories and we get to see the stories where maybe they don't want to converse with us initially and then, you know, we hit that favorite song and suddenly they tell us this hilarious story of this prank they pulled when they were a teenager. And I love that. But what I love even more um, is some of the folks that I've worked with, even when they're regressed enough, they can no longer communicate verbally. When we do those rhythm exercises with the drums, 
they're able to participate. And I've been in several situations where we're working with a group, um, and I have a member that isn't able to contribute to discussions or conversations or answer questions. Um, but when I lead a drum circle and a group drumming exercise, they're not just able to participate in that group. They're able to lead. And I've had them get up and lead the, lead the group, and they are dancing, and they are doing rhythms, and their peers are following them and cheering them on. Um, and it's so dramatic, the change, that when you see them in that moment leading the drumming exercise, you forget, even as a therapist where it's your job to be addressing their challenges, you forget the kind of challenges they have. Um, and in one situation, we were just having so much fun, and then the music stopped. And the gentleman just looked at me, and he couldn't remember where his chair was, even though there was only one empty chair in the room. And I had to physically lead him to his chair and kind of give him a prompt to sit down. And that's when I saw just the contrast between what he can do with music um, and the challenges that he's facing every day. And I, I absolutely love those situations because in those moments, he's a part of the group, he's a leader of the group, and you can see by their face they're recognizing um, the feedback they're getting from their peers and they're having fun and they're interacting. Um, and I just think it's the most important thing in the world. I I totally agree. It's uh it's life-changing. I have some videos on my YouTube channel of my mom, and I've walked into conferences where people are using it as an example of just this awakening. And it's it's so beautiful, and it, it takes, you know, little time and little effort, and the joy they get and the joy that is dispersed in the whole area because everybody picks up on this energy change, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible. So, um, I want to get into, um, you know, is this book really music therapy or not? And, and what's the difference? And, and Tara, I'm going to have you um, explain kind of what music therapy is and, and what, what is the book and how can it be used? Sure. Um, so the short answer to is this book music therapy is no, uh, it is not. Um, you know, and Meredith kind of touched on this describing the book, but our goal of this book was really to provide caregivers the access to tools and resources to be able to share music with their loved ones. We wanted those who care for someone with cognitive decline or dementia to be able to have a meaningful visit through music and to really set them up for success. Um, and that's really the ultimate goal is how can we make this process as easy as possible for the caregiver so not only can their loved one enjoy the music, but that they can also enjoy that experience with them. And you know, I'm sure, Lori, as you know, being a caregiver, a lot of your time is spent doing things for your loved one that you never imagined you would do. You know, and so we wanted to provide something for caregivers where they could enjoy their time with their loved one, you know, and, and kind of take a minute to enjoy that experience together. Um, to go in a little bit more about what the difference is between um, music therapy and what we're doing here with the book, I'll just talk a little bit about music therapists in general. Um, as music therapists, we're trained to achieve greater response levels and measurable gains on non-musical goals than those using music recreationally. So a lot of times um, when we're working with a specific client, um, if there's a goal that we are working on with them in music therapy, a lot of times the ultimate goal is to see that transfer outside of music therapy. Um, so, for example, if you were working with someone with cerebral palsy and you were working with them with their hand to try to get their hand to stretch to play on the piano, you know, and you were working and doing different exercises to get them, even if it's one finger, um, to play a note on the piano, the ultimate goal would then maybe to be that they would have more strength to hold a fork while they're eating. Um, so that's kind of an example of how it can be translated to a non-musical goal as music therapists. We also use okay. music specifically. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I was just saying, okay, that sounds that oh, was a good yeah. explanation. Um, uh, we also use music specifically to improve functioning, uh, and these areas include cognition, communication, motor skills, social skills, um, and emotional and mental health. Uh, so what I love about us as music therapists is it's very individualized. Um, you know, we work with a variety of ages, populations, and diagnoses, and 
depending on who we're working with, we can really tailor our program to meet their needs and interests. Um, so when you think about older adults, uh, when we're in a group setting, a lot of times we will guide our session with a theme. So we might do the music of Hank Williams and talk about his life a little bit and include his music and include recordings and include instruments, different ways to move. Um, and again, it's another way to hit all of those folks within the group to make sure that we can get them all to participate. Whereas if you were working with an individual uh, with dementia, I see some individuals, and I have one woman who Motown is her interest. She loves Motown. She loves um, the doo-wop groups uh, in the 60s. And so I can tailor her program much differently than I would another individual because of her musical preferences. So that's kind of a, kind of a brief example of, you know, how we can really tailor our programming depending on who's in front of us. Uh, and then the other thing I would want to mention is that even though we're the ones who are trained to harness the therapeutic benefits of music, we wanted to share with everyone that there are many non-clinical ways that you can use music to support aging loved ones. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, sharing those tips um, we can't be everywhere at once. You know, um, there are not music therapists in every town, in every city. Um, so how can we, you know, share the knowledge we know and give those non-clinical tips and strategies and tools to those caring um, for somebody living with dementia um, or cognitive decline? Okay, great. Now, we have a caller on the line. I'm just going to pull them in and see if they have a question. Sometimes people just call, and this is how they listen. Um, but let me see. It is a 5700 number. Hello, you're live and on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Did you have a question or a comment? You have a um, – your number ends in a 5700 Starts with the eight one seven. Did you have a question or a comment? Oh hi, hi Lori. This is Elva Roy in Arlington, Texas. Well, hi Elva. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well, and I'm enjoying the conversation. And I just wanted to say that I lead a group here in Arlington called Ambassadors for Aging Well. My mother died of, she was never formally diagnosed, but some sort of dementia in 2006. And um, Ambassadors for Aging Well has started a dementia chorus here in Arlington, which is between Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, the dementia chorus is for people with early to mid-stage dementia, their care partners, and volunteers. And we've had maybe 12 or 15 rehearsals so far, and we're having an open house and sing-along on this Thursday, um, inviting the public to come and sing with us. But... Um, Music is such an important part, and you said that you wished you had known when your mother, when you were caring for your mother, that music could have been part of her plan, and I wished the same thing for my own mother. Um, I wished I had known then what I have learned since. But anyway, our group, our 501c3 here in Arlington is called Musical Memory Singers, and we have had about 35 to 40 people show up for every Thursday for our rehearsals. We tell people, if you can speak, you can sing well enough to be in our chorus. There are no auditions, no stigma, no judgment. Just come and sing with us and have some light refreshments and interact with people who might be in your same situation, whether you're a care partner or a, um, you know, someone with living with, with the dementia. diagnosis. 
Alva, yeah. is there a is there a phone number that you can give out if if people are listening or an email address? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. My phone number is eight one seven five five seven five seven zero zero, and um, there is a Facebook page if you search for musical memory singers. And, of course, we got the idea from the Giving Voice Chorus up in Minneapolis, which has done yep. such a fantastic mm-hmm. job. They now have three choruses, two in Minneapolis, one in St. Paul, and we kind of yep. copied them. And um, and 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 so everything wonderful. going it's great. wonderful to hear. Yeah. I, need, I need to pull the conversation back to our gals. Um, but I really sure. appreciate you calling in, and I'm very familiar with Giving Voice Choir because I'm in Minnesota. Um, and so okay. some of the people in my memory cafe are part of that. But thank you very much for letting people know about that. Um, that's it, It's You're a wonderful welcome. way to participate, and um, music just makes magic. Thank you, Alva. Yes, and, uh, we, and we reach out to people who are still living at home versus people who are living in a facility. Because facilities oh. usually bring music in, you know. Okay. But Alba, people I, living at home. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Um, great. Well, that's always it's always nice to hear options there. So um, thank you again, Elva, for calling in. Um, I wanted to see if there was anything that either, um, Meredith, if you wanted to add in about your uh, music therapy book in terms of what is the difference um, between music therapy and just kind of regular interaction, uh, if you want to add anything to what uh, Tara has said. Yeah, I do. Um, I think she did a fantastic job kind of breaking it down. Um, And one example I would give is when we think about music therapy, sometimes it's such an abstract concept people struggle. So I like to make a comparison to physical therapy. Um, And for example, when I broke my back, a physical therapist was able to assess me and figure out what exercises I needed. Um, And then, you know, work with me until I got strong enough and then gave me exercises to do at home. Um, So it was almost like he was able to give me tips and strategies and I could very well execute the tips and strategies he gave me. I could replicate all the exercises he said and they were really helpful. Um, And I think with music therapy, that's kind of the difference is we can give people tips and strategies for a specific situation um, and they can replicate them well. But then if those exercises aren't working for me, or if something else kind of goes out of whack or I have a problem, that's where my knowledge of physical therapy ends, right? Like I could replicate what I was taught, but I don't have the knowledge to come up with something new or a new approach that's going to be successful. Um, I also wouldn't be able to come up with what exercises were going to be most helpful for me in the initial injury. Um, So I think it's kind of a lot like that with music versus music therapy versus recreational music making. Um, And a lot of times that's what I see like when I'm working with a caregiver um, is I'll give them tips and strategies and, you know, they're able to replicate really well. Okay. We listened to the song. Now I ask these discussion questions. I listen to the song. I'm going to encourage them to tap their toes and they're able to replicate that really well. But then in that moment, if there's problems or they're not getting a good response, a lot of times that's where they're like, I'm not exactly sure what to do now, now that this isn't working. And I think that's really when it's a great time to call a music therapist because we can come in and look at the situation and assess and say, oh, this is great that you're doing this, but why don't you try X, Y, and Z to be more successful? Um, Does that kind of make sense, kind of explaining the difference? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Kathy, was there anything that you wanted to add? Uh, just a little bit, um, touching on what Meredith said, which is a fantastic example. Um, a lot of people don't realize that music therapists actually have to go through an accredited bachelor's degree program. They have to do studies not only in music, but also in psychology, biology, anatomy, and physiology. And then on top of that, they have to do a thousand hours of clinical internship under supervision to learn how to do both to find those tips and strategies, to find those assessment points that Meredith was talking about, and what to do if something doesn't go right, how to correct for that, what's the best way to use music to help somebody achieve that non-musical goal. 
Right, right. Um, well, thank you. Kathy, I also wanted to ask you if you could kind of explain about how you came up with your comprehensive playlist in part two of the book and what makes this playlist different than what you could find by just searching on the Internet. Um, well, I am kind of the research nerd of the group, and I saw this as an opportunity. I got very excited when we did come up with playlists because the first thought was, well, they, they have playlists. They have greatest hit CDs. You can just go on the Internet, and you can say, what did Billboard say were the top 50 songs of the 1950s? But then we stopped and we thought about it, and we realized just because they were the top 50 songs of the 1950s doesn't mean they're the songs that people are going to respond to or that people are going to relate to just because they sold a certain number of copies. So what we did was we actually designed a survey, and we put out a survey to 50 music therapists across the country, 50 other board-certified music therapists, and all of them wrote back and rated a bunch of songs that we use in our practice with seniors and then also suggested a bunch of songs that they use that get the best responses. And what started out as a list of, I think, of about 150 songs quickly turned into a list of well over 500 songs. So then we had to sit and curate them. But it was amazing to see all across the country, all across um, different ranges of music therapy, everyone who worked with older adults who responded to our survey, there were these trends in the different songs. And we compared those trends to the Billboard list, and we noticed that a lot of the same songs were coming up for us that maybe Billboard didn't see, or there were songs that Billboard listed that maybe we had tried in session that didn't really get so much of a great response. So we sat down and we curated the lists that came out of that survey and divided them up by decade, because we know that the music that people respond to the best is the music that they became familiar with in their adolescence, between the ages of 13 and 25, 30 years old. That's when you really get on the music train, as it were. And so we wanted to cover all of the decades of people who might be reading the book, who might be looking at, okay, so when was my loved one 20 years old? What decade was that? Go to that playlist and say, okay, well, here's a list of 25 songs that I can start with. We tested out many of these songs with our own music therapy practices. Most of the discussions, if not all of them, in the book are chosen. All of them are chosen from the playlist. And most, if not all of them, we have run with our own seniors and our own groups to see what the response level was. And we found that because these songs are the songs that keep coming up over and over again, even though we didn't necessarily know all of them to start out, we now have a greater knowledge of all of these different types of songs and we find that they're very, very good in getting response. Wonderful. Yeah, I was really impressed with the list that you've got in here because, I mean, it's extensive. And um, how cool is that? Um, you, you just um, you, you have such great information in, in here. I just I really, really appreciate it. And like I said, I, I so wish my mom... Um, when she was younger, um, going through this disease would have been able to, uh, we would have been able to tap into this uh, more <clears throat> to help her because music was just life-changing for her. I mean, it could switch her, switch her mood in moments there. Um, does anybody else want to talk about the playlist at all? Meredith, was there anything you wanted to add? I would just make a comment that when we first uh, came up with the outline for the book, we thought part two would be the easy part um, because <laughs> it was very cut and dried uh, research songs. There's lots of songs. We narrow it down. Um, and it definitely took many, many more hours. Um, but I think it was one of the strengths of working with three authors versus one um, because we could sit around and have a debate and have a discussion um, and get several different opinions um, and feelings about which artist is the best artist for the song, and we, you know, had to trim the list and adjust. Um, but I'm really proud of the fact that even though it took us so long and there might have been debates about Bing Crosby over the Andrew sisters on certain hits, um, that what we came up with that we can really stand behind and say we're confident that this isn't just working for each of us individually. We're confident that when somebody uses our playlist, they ought to be successful because it's been tested across the country and kind of tried and true. So um, it was a harder process than I expected, but I'm thrilled with the results. Well, and what I like about this, too, is, you you know, you have the basic information about the song and the composer and the artist and the year released, and you have additional information about 
um, maybe some artists that may have, you know, sang the, this particular song. So like, and what I'm looking at right now, it's got uh, Frank Sinatra, you know, Ray Charles, Peggy Lee, James Taylor. I mean, what a diverse group. And then you talk about engaged listening and then meaningful discussions. So it, it truly, each one is, you know, can be in an activity um, in, a, in a sweet type of engagement all by itself. And um, so kudos to you guys for digging so deep. Um, Tara, anything Thank that you, you wanted to, to add? Yeah, Lori, uh, I wanted to kind of piggyback off of what you um, were saying. Um, you know, when you sit down with a book and you're like, okay, well, here's the playlist. I'm, you know, not only did we do decades, but we also did um, genres as well. So if you were to sit down and you were to look at rock and roll and you were to look at rock around the clock, we also then recommend an artist to go along with that. And that is everything that we have triple and quadruple checked um, to make sure you can find it on different platforms. So we tried to set up whoever is using this book. Not only do you get the name of the song, you know, the information that you're describing, but you're also getting an artist where you can find their recording online, whether it be Spotify, whether it be iTunes, YouTube, you know, any of the multiple sources that you can use to find music. Um, we wanted to make it easier uh, for the person sitting there uh, having to play the music for their loved one. Which is which is wonderful because we all need to save time. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think every care partner can agree with that. Um, Tara, from here I want to kind of roll into what type of advice um, would you give to family members or care partners about using music with their loved ones? Sure. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of things come to mind with that question, but I would say first of all, there's no one specific way to share music. Um, and that's something that, you know, I just want to remind everybody, you know, there's no one right answer. You know, try different things. Um, you know, see what works. See what you get a response out of. Uh, throughout the book, we've talked about how we give a variety of examples of music that you can share, both from the playlist and the meaningful discussions. But the important thing to remember is to let your loved one lead the way. You know, each day they're going to be in a different part of their journey, and you really want to meet them in the moment and wherever that is, you know. Um, and so that's what I think is one of the most important things is a lot of times our loved ones, they do not have the control to change the way they're reacting. A lot of times we as care partners and caregivers, we need to kind of change the way we're responding, uh, which isn't always easy to do. Um, and I think it's important to remind ourselves of that. Even us as music therapists working with older adults, you know, kind of change the way we approach them and really meet them where they're at and join them on the journey. Uh, I would also say, Kathy touched on this, if you're not sure what songs to share with your loved one or they're not able to communicate their preferences or if you're an activity director and you meet this resident for the first time and maybe they don't have any family, Maybe they can no longer communicate and they're unable to share what music they enjoy. You want to start with music that was popular, as Kathy mentioned, in their late teens, their early 20s. Um, also music that was popular during their childhood. And at times, this can also include music that both their parents or their guardians sang to them growing up. So it's important to remember that piece as well. Um, an example um, that you can think about is if somebody was born around 1933, you would probably start to look at the music of the 40s and the 50s. That would be a good starting point. And some songs might include Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree, Sentimental Journey, This Land is Your Land, Blueberry Hill, or Love Me Tender. So those are just some kind of specific examples to give you an idea uh, if you wanted a starting point. And then what I always say is a lot of it is trial and error. You know, you could play a song for your loved one and you really want to focus on their facial expressions and their body language. Of course, if they can communicate, I am sure they will tell you if they're enjoying the song or not. If they can't, those are the, the really the best indicators uh, to kind of guide your listening when you're sitting down and listening to music with a loved one. And if they're not enjoying it, it's okay. I think that's important to remember, too. If there's something that comes up 
um, that they don't care for, turn it off. Go to something else. You know, um, there's no specific order uh, that you have to follow um, when you're using our book, when you're listening to music in general. Meredith, I think, mentioned this as well. Um, when you're listening to music, you want to encourage whatever engagement your loved one is doing, whether it's tapping their toes, if they're clapping their hands, uh, if they're just tapping one finger. Uh, you want to mirror those images. You want to mimic those um, those reactions and get them more excited and more engaged. Uh, and for me, it's, you know, no matter how big or small, they could be tapping one finger, and I know that they are engaged with that music. You know, and the other side of it is they could stand up and start dancing, right? So you never know when you're going to make that connection. And I would just encourage caregivers to keep trying uh, because you never know when you're going to make that connection. And when that connection's made, it can really be a beautiful experience. And the last thing I think I would say um, to this is when it comes to the discussion questions, if you ask them a question about a song and they don't answer correctly or if they change the subject, just remind yourself that that's all okay. Uh, you can continue to engage in conversation even if it's not where you started. The most important thing is you're connecting with your loved one. You're enjoying each other's company. Um, and that's really the ultimate goal. And so that's going to look a little different um, for everybody. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Kathy, how about you? Any last-minute advice for um, families or, or friends who are dealing with uh, somebody with dementia or a professional, too, who can easily use this book as well? I think my biggest piece of advice is don't be afraid to use music. Don't be afraid to enjoy the music and to have fun with it. I mean, so often we live in an American Idol culture where everybody, music is that thing that professionals do up on the stage that we clap for, we pay money to buy tickets to go see, or we watch on television to see who's the best at it. Everyone can sing. It says in the Bible, make a joyful noise. It doesn't say do it in key. It doesn't say do it in key. <laughs> Forrest Gump said, if you can't sing good, sing loud. So don't be afraid <laughs> of the music. And that, that's the most important thing. If you're having a good time singing along, like Tara said, moving along, clapping your hands, tapping your toes, your loved one will see that you're enjoying it too. And they'll join in with you. If you approach it with fear and trepidation, then it's less of a safe place to share. So don't be afraid yeah. of it. Go for it. No one's judging yeah. you. You do not have a panel of judges watching you sing. That's that's really, really good advice. Like I said, my my mom taught me to play again and let go and just have fun instead of trying to, you know, fit into that perfect image. And, we, you know, we could engage on such a deeper level when I got out of my, you know, space and allowed myself to be there. Um, you know, she was rip-roaring and ready to be there. Um, but again, she always had a good voice growing up. And, and even with dementia, you know, she still still uh, had that. Meredith, how about you? Any last words of wisdom? Um, yeah, actually, I'm going to go just a little bit of a different direction because Kathy and Tara have kind of covered what to do, you know, when you're working with your loved one that is in those later stages of dementia. And I would just love to encourage your listeners, if you are older, um, if you're working with a parent maybe who has mild dementia or a recent diagnosis, now is the time to put together their preferred playlist. Um, because a lot of times by the time we get called and we come in, we are doing what Tara is suggesting. We are guessing and checking. We're using good research and we're using good clues to come up with educated guesses, um, but we're still left guessing and trying to figure out what they like. Um, when we get a client where there is a family member that can tell us these are some of their favorite songs, this is their favorite artist, we get to those greater response levels so much faster because we know where to start. Um, and once you're working with someone in the later stages of dementia who can't tell you preferences, you don't have a chance to start from that place. You have to start from scratch and guess and check. But just now is the time if you have a recent diagnosis or even if you're just older yourself, make it part of your care plan. Make it part of your advanced directive, what some of your preferred music is, because that way when things progress, 
people are able to provide what you really love, what you care about, and what's going to get those greater response levels. I know Tara and I, we were just at the National Music Therapy Conference, and we were thrilled to hear that in Wisconsin they are including preferred playlists as a part of advanced directives. Um, and this is just awesome, and I would just love to encourage your listeners to make sure they're making notes of those preferences now um, because that's going to pay off enormously down the road. Yeah, I I agree. The other thing I just want to mention to our listeners, too, is that, you know, music can bring joy, but it can also bring sadness. And so you have to kind of watch for that, too, because, I mean, who hasn't been driving down the road and a a song makes you tear up because of of a memory? And it might be a good memory that makes you cry, or it might be just a really sad memory, too. But, you, you know, we have to be conscious when we're when we're engaged and you know and then stay away from those types of things and like they said it's kind of a a trial and error i also want to point out a couple of things in this book that i just think are fabulous you know they've really broken down these songs by era every 10 years from 1920 to 1970s and w- when you guys do your next edition hopefully um <laughs> you'll you'll go even further because the sad part is is with dementia, younger and younger people are getting diagnosed all the time with this disease. And um, it's sad to say, but it would be nice to pull that up um, and do 1980s and 90s and, and maybe even to, to the 2000s um, because of the numbers of people and um, how young some of them are. And we're seeing children now um, being affected. They also have in this book um, categories. So they've got hymns and spiritual songs, patriotic songs, folk music, country music. And folk music, they have both the traditional and contemporary. They've got rock and roll. They've got just timeless classics. I mean, they have Broadway music. You guys have just done an absolutely fabulous job. I, I, I really encourage people to pick this book up. It's called, again, Music, Memory, and Meaning, How to Effectively Use Music, to connect with aging loved ones. And um, like I said, it's just absolutely fantastic. We do need to um, wrap up the show here. I can't believe how fast an hour goes, but as always, it just blows on by. So I want to, um, again, encourage people to go to their website um, or you can always call them too. Maybe you're looking for a music therapist and you're in the Austin um, area. Um, you can go to NorthAustinMusicTherapy.com or you can call 512-422-9694. That's 512-422-9694. And you can, again, purchase the book on Amazon. Uh, just go to Amazon in the book section and put in music memory and meaning it will pop right up for you or we have a hot link on our page as well uh what else is going on uh you know we've got christmas rolling in so for those of you celebrating uh christmas the hanukkah uh, we just want to wish everybody a happy holiday kwanzaa whatever it is you might be celebrating it's a magnificent time of the year and music is a powerful piece uh for so many during their celebration so leverage it. Um, Try something new out. Take some of these tips away. And if you are dealing with uh, a loved one, you might want to check also into a memory cafe if they're in their early to mid stages. And that's a kind of a support group or gathering for people uh, with dementia and their care partners. And you can just go to the memorycafedirectory.com to get more information on that. Uh, last, I um, again, I just want to thank everybody who participated in our dementia-friendly cruise when we went to the Bahamas. We had an absolute blast, and we will be doing some more dementia-friendly travel under the name dementia-friendly travel, either with Lori LeBay, myself, um, or Alzheimer's Speaks. That's how we'll be advertising in the future. Uh, please note, uh, go to our blog. You can always get more information there, as well as our website, alzheimerspeaks.com. And if you haven't checked out our Dementia Chats videos, which are um, 
videos where I interview people with dementia, please do so. Uh, they're extremely insightful. I think the the people living with this disease have um, so much to share, and we as care partners and business professionals can learn so much from them. And wrapping up, I'll just give you a reminder of uh, a tool that I developed called Your Memory Chip, uh, again, which you can access on the website, and it just teaches us three simple things, and that is to focus on are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Thanks, ladies. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform. <laughs>